everyone. Did y'all have a good 4th of July? Yeah. Just want to let you all know that we live up there in the blessed country, uh, up close to the Red River. We, we got some rain this week. Just wanted to rub that in just a little. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be bragging. The line went right beside my house. I, I don't know how that happened, but uh, anyway, just kidding. Please continue to pray for rain. We, uh, Tim, you might just turn me down just a little bit. They got a new mic, and this thing is so clear, he said you could hear my stomach growl. All right? So if you hear something weird, listen, it's my stomach, okay? Just saying, don't, don't freak out on me. Uh, but uh, be praying for rain. Uh, we desperately need rain, uh, not only here, but in other parts of the country. Not only do we need physical rain, but as always, we know that we are due and in great need for spiritual rain as well. And God sends both of those. So be praying for that. A quick update since we didn't have a lot of announcements this morning. Uh, first of all, if you're here this morning and this is your first time, we're so glad that you are here and we are glad that you joined us. Uh, the plans, just try to keep you all updated, the plans for the new student facility, um, they have made their way back to the city and uh, we're just waiting now for the city to approve those and our, our uh, permits will be pulled. So y'all be ready to get in and do some work. Yeah, that's things, I gotta get that thing finished, absolutely. The, the new arena, uh, covered arena, which will be set, set in right north here of the building, it's been ordered. Um, it takes about seven weeks for that arena to actually run through the the process of its building and construction. So uh, be praying for that as well as, as we begin to, to have a great tool that God's given us to use for the kingdom building. So uh, be praying for that as well as God has moved us in that direction. So just to keep you updated, I want to welcome everybody watching today live stream and those that are listening uh, through the radio stations that we're blessed to be a part of. We just want to welcome them as well this morning as, as we begin to, to, serve, to worship God today. Uh, if you would, would you bow your heads with me, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today, and Lord, we are so grateful to be a part of the kingdom of God, thankful for your salvation this morning. Uh, Father, we love you today. I just pray, as always, Lord, that you would uh, show up with your spirit here, Lord, in a mighty way, that you would be our teacher, and Lord, that you are the only one that can give us the truth from your word. So thank you for everybody that's here this morning. And Father, we just love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, um, I told you we would be out of Romans 6, but uh, unfortunately, we're not going to make it quite over the ridge to Romans chapter 7 uh, for a very important reason. Um, we're going to discuss uh, a little bit more in detail. I told you we're going to learn more about why Paul has been spending so much time here in Romans. Um, you know, it seems as if Paul has just been repeating himself over and over and over again uh, in relation to the gospel message that, uh, that we're reading through these different chapters as we make our way through Romans. And we're talking about prowling through Romans. And the reason we say prowl is because we're going very slow. And there's a reason for that because, number one, I'm not good at it. Um, I am not good at slow. Um, in fact, my driving record will prove that's correct. The insurance company is about done with me. But anyway, um, I struggle with slowing down. And it's a challenge for me. Um, as we're going through Romans, I even struggled somewhat this week. I said, Lord, you know, 
I'm kind of an ADD individual anyway, and it's hard for me to stay there, just to stay there and to, and to pound my way through this teaching because I already want to get to Romans chapter 8. That's where I want to get to. But I can't get to Romans 8 until I go through Romans 1 through 7 because Paul in this gospel is driving nails into the foundation of the gospel of Christ. And he's driving nails uh, just one after the other. It's like he's repeating himself, just boom, drive another one, boom, drive another one, boom, drive another one. He's just repeating himself over and over and over again. Because Paul knows that for all those who were in Rome, having heard the gospel from the the uh, Pentecost when the disciples were filled with the Spirit of God and the gospel message was proclaimed in everyone's language. They were saved there and they're back in Rome. And Paul knows that they have not had any teaching uh, within the gospel message of Christ. That they heard the gospel, they received Christ, but to be taught now in the doctrine of uh, the gospel of Christ Jesus, they, they have not been. And so Paul is writing a letter to a group of Christians he's never met. And Paul wants for them to understand the immensity and the magnitude of the incredible gift of the gospel of Christ. Because he knows that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. That there are wolves that were going to teach and preach a different gospel and it happened and it still happens today. That unless we are grounded and we have nails driven into the foundation of the true gospel of Christ Jesus we could easily be pulled away into believing a false gospel. And some of those gospels are prevalent today in our society, even in, within what we call evangelical Christianity. So I appreciate your patience, and my prayer is that you would learn to just love to see the Word of God come alive to us as we slowly make our way through the book of Romans. If you run yourself through the brush and through the pasture, you're going to miss a whole lot of things, but if we'll slow up, the Holy Spirit will teach us and show us some new things. Amen? All right. So let's begin in Romans chapter 6. And Diana, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 12, Diana, and I'll make my way to the end of the chapter. Paul continues writing here on, in the 12th verse. He says this, with three do nots in a row. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give into sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you are alive in new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given to you. 
Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteousness or righteous living. He continues, because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using an illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God, of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is using an illustration here of slavery. In fact, 11 times from the 5th verse all the way through here, the 23rd verse, you're going to find that Paul uses the word slave 11 times. And I realize that the word slave in our day, especially because of some of the history of our nation, has a very negative overtone to it. But you're going to find that throughout the Old Testament and the Gospels, whether it's Hebrew or whether it's Greek, the word slave has been used many times. In fact, about 150 times in the New Testament, the word slave is used. And Paul is using this illustration of slavery and freedom and slavery and righteousness, or slavery and death, and slavery and righteousness. He's using this illustration to help those in Rome understand what has really happened when they came to faith in Christ Jesus and they were regenerated and became a new believer in Christ Jesus. And Paul is just pounding these nails, and over and over and over again, we find that Paul is repeating himself as he makes his way through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's very important that we spend time here. And we address some of these issues, and Paul is making it very well known um, of what has happened with our union with Christ. Um, you and I wouldn't even have known what it was to have a union with Christ in our salvation had Paul not told us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In the fact that all that God provides for us in salvation um, is an incredible thing to be in Christ. One of the reasons Paul is, is so adamant about this is because in his day, no different than our day, there were many who were teaching a false gospel. In fact, on the outside, it looks pretty good. But underneath it, it looks wretched. And it's not built upon truth. You know, I've had the privilege of building a few saddles. And I have to be honest with you that when I began this process, first it was my daughter. You know, it was her 16th, no, it was Christmas. I think it was Christmas of her 16th birthday. I came up with this wild, harebrained idea that I would build her a saddle for Christmas. Do you know how many months I needed to start to get it done before Christmas? I thought I would simply go into the saddle shop of the, the man who was teaching me how to build saddles, who had been a saddle maker for about 30 years. I thought I was going to walk in there and have this baby done in like, you know, a week. <laughs> you, know, you know, spend an hour or two a day on it and boy, we'll have this thing whipped out. Um, but that wasn't the case. I would be embarrassed to tell you how many hours it took me to build my first saddle. Uh, and probably would, I wouldn't even attempt it today because you need to keep doing it. Uh, it takes a tremendous amount of work. And uh, 
One of the trades I made several years ago, there was a gentleman who needed a car, and uh, we had an extra one, and he was just a kind of a cowboy guy that had been down on his luck, and he was at saddle making school and didn't have a car. His car broke down, and so he was at cowboy church one day, and he was telling me about it, and I said, tell you what, I've, I've got an old car. I said, you know, you're welcome to it. He said, oh, this is cowboys for you. No, I'm not going to do that. He said, I'll trade, I'll trade you. I'm thinking, oh boy, what's this going to be? I've got, a, I've, got a hand, I've got a saddle I built uh, several years ago that I'll just trade you. I'll just swap you for the car. Well, that was great. We'll do that. And on the outside, that saddle actually looked pretty good. It was a wade tree. I mean, uh, those of you that know anything about saddle trees, I mean, it has no swells whatsoever. And uh, it, it was on the outside, it looked, it looked good. It was a rough out saddle. It means the hides flipped on the rough outside, and it looked pretty good. But... Uh, let me say everything that glitters is not gold, all right? And not every trade that I've made has been good. Nonetheless, this really wasn't a trade. But this saddle tree right here, I wish you guys were closer um, and you could see it. But this old saddle tree here, I've knocked off most of the plaster Paris. But what's interesting about the gospel is and why Paul is driving these nails home is because Paul wants for you and I to have the right foundation to build our Christian life upon. And he's driving these nails over and over in Romans because he knows that the false gospel is this close to the real. It is so close. And on the outside, this saddle really looked pretty good. But I promise you, if you would have roped anything bigger than a bottle calf, it would have jerked the swells off your saddle. You wouldn't have been riding a, no, a, 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 a wade tree. You'd be riding a no tree. You hear what I'm saying? Because this saddle was wrapped in leather, conchos on it, stirrups, stirrup leathers, everything. You know, you can tool this saddle up as fancy as you want, buy the most expensive silver and put on it. You can even have a guy that'll make your own brand and put it on your, on your trinket areas, on your saddle and your conchos and so on and so forth. And man, you can buck stitch it and make it look real fancy. But when you get down to the reality of using it and applying it, you find out very quickly whether or not it's built on the right foundation. And what I think happens so often within Christian when Christian lives and those who have, who, have, who have made a profession of faith or come to faith in Christ is if we're not careful, careful and we've listened to the gospel, but it wasn't the gospel that Paul preached, then we're building our life upon a false foundation. And when life happens, because it's going to happen to a believer just like it happens to unbelievers. Hey, Tim, can you turn me down just a little bit? He can't hear me. He's listening. <laughs> down just a little bit more. Turn me down just a little bit. And what happens is, is that when the strain of life begins to come, because we've built our life on a, on, a, on a foundation that was false or a gospel that we were taught that was false, all of a sudden we look at God and go, what in the world did you do? I mean, I thought X, Y, and Z was going to be the expectation of me giving my life to you. And life happens. The good, the bad, the ugly, some things you choose, some things you don't choose. 
And all of a sudden, when the rope of life gets tight, and it just stretches, and it's running off the other direction, things begin to fall apart quickly because we weren't told the true gospel. See, in Western, um, Western uh, evangelical Christianity, which is basically the West where we are, we have a very man-centered gospel. In other words, the gospel is about man instead of it being about Christ. And why I'm saying this is so important because many of you have been taught, uh, if, you've, if you've been in certain circles, a gospel that may be very pretty on the outside. And I mean, it's, it's got all the bells and whistles. It's got nettle stirrups. I mean, it's, it's got the best of the best leather. I mean, we're talking really fancy, high dollar, thick leather. I mean, it, it has got conchos, full silver, the size of silver dollars. I mean, it's got buck stitching all over. I mean, this sucker has got the most unbelievable tooling. I mean, it is painted up, tooled up. It's got flowers, and it, it looks amazing on the outside. But when you take the leather off of it, you're going to find something. That it's going to look like this tree here. This tree here has been pieced together in multiple pieces with, it looks like, I don't know what size of nail these are, but it wouldn't even hold the screen door on the front of your house. And I knocked off most of the plaster, but see, if you were to set on this thing very long, you want to talk about ouchie. I mean, your behind is going to be squealing before the day is done. Because it's not been made to fit man, nor is it made to fit beast. And your horse is going to get sure enough sore if you use it. And so it really is nothing more than a trinket to set in your living room and look at. It has no value to it whatsoever. And truthfully, when it comes to this, and this is why Paul, he is spending so much time here. Man, he is just, he is like one nail after the other. And I know if you're like me, you've been like, okay, Paul, let's get through this thing. Let's get to the, to the end of this deal. But Paul says, listen, you don't understand. There's a reason the Holy Spirit's inspired me to do this. And there's a reason that I'm trying to discipline myself to preach through Romans because there is no letter in the Bible that has been written that is more clear and concise of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And so I'm having to force myself to stay there and to work my way through it. In chapter 7, I'm still chewing my cud because I'm still not there. And I'm not going to preach it yet because I don't completely get a hold of it yet. Does that make sense? I mean, there's some things that I've been taught about Romans chapter 7 my entire life. But now that I have been really taking my time and, and just working my way through Romans, and I mean, I'm pulling up and I'm stopping, backing up. I'm looking behind that tree. I'm going over here and looking over here. I'm checking this water source. I mean, I am spending time looking. All of a sudden, I'm seeing some things in the Word of God that are different than what I really believe to be true. And you know what that is? That's a blessing. And you know what God is doing in my life? He's using Paul to drive another nail in the foundation of this gospel that I am so blessed to preach. And you are so blessed to share. So that's why Paul is doing what he's doing. This thing was covered in plaster to fill in the holes so that when you sat on it, you wouldn't know that it wasn't an excellent tree. For example, the tree that I put in the saddle I built for myself, 
It is, it is designed, I pick the swells, the cuts in it, the height of it, how big my cannel was, how tall it was, how long the seat was. I mean, I, I even used leather and, and built a ground seat in it to fit not your behind, but to fit mine. And as I age, I'm going to have to change that, I can see. <laughs> but anyway, because listen, it's for me. And it's made to fit me. More importantly, it's also made to fit a horse so that the horse doesn't get sore. And see, sometimes Christians, we're walking around sore because the gospel that we thought we received, it doesn't fit man or beast because it's not the true gospel. And see, I know this. My first responsibility on Sunday morning is to handle this thing like Bob Schrader handles a calf on the end of his rope. And he handles it great. And you can watch him in the Brandon pen, him or Rusty or his brother or whoever, even his dad. These guys are so in tune to what they do. They're over and over and over again. They handle that thing like a pro. I mean, there's no thought to what they're doing. Calf can run around the back, go around. It makes no difference. They're handling this thing with ease. Why? Because they've trained themselves to do this. And I have to train myself that every Sunday that I come here, my first responsibility is to this word right here and to the Lord Jesus Christ. My second responsibility is to you all. That I teach the word for you after God has taught it to me. And then it is to the lost who by the grace of God would hear the gospel and come to know Christ as their Savior. It's not to them first, it's to you all. Because you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. That's why we do this. So, Paul had some other things that he's mentioned in, um, it won't even stand up, the candle's so crooked. Paul mentions a few other things here before we get into the meat of this message. In Galatians chapter 1, if you want to write this down, I shared this this morning at Church in the Dirt. Um, trust me, we will actually have real church in real, we have real church, but we'll have church in dirt. Uh, I know some of you, if you sat out there on those bleachers, you would be, you would think you were in Hades and not the dirt, as hot as it would be there. But when that covered arena comes, we will also have literally in the dirt um, and so uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. When it cools down this fall, we'll do more of that in the dirt. But anyway, Galatians chapter 1, if you'll go there with me, it's in the New Testament, obviously, right before the book of Ephesians or the letter of Ephesians, Galatians chapter 1. Paul, of course, started several churches, and he started them with the foundation of the gospel that he is teaching in Romans. Paul has the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. People say, well, John, isn't that a different gospel than the gospel the disciples had? It's all the same gospel. Is that a different gospel that we see in the Old Testament? You say, was there a gospel in the Old Testament? Oh, yeah. There's been a gospel all the way from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And so as we look at what Paul wrote to a church that he invested time and his life in, we find in Galatians chapter 1, Paul writing something here in verse 8. 
And there's a reason that Paul is doing this. He's methodical in what he's doing. He didn't use the illustration of a slave just because he happened to just think about it off the cuff. No, sir. He used that because the Holy Spirit directed him to use this exact illustration so that I could understand it, so that the Jew in Rome could understand it, so that the Gentile who is still under the law, although it's not under the law that was given to uh, the, the nation of Israel, we are still under the law because it says in Romans 2, listen, obviously we're guilty because we show that we do things that the law says. So it's on our hearts. So we also are under, to a degree, the law of God because he's written it on the heart of man. And so Paul wants to, to nail this down. Guys, that's what I hope that when we get through this, you're going to be so, your tree is going to be so solid that you could ride, you could look like one of the saddles uh, uh, of the cowboys in Hawaii. Um, they have very little leather on their saddle. In fact, the tree, most of the tree is exposed. And that's traditional because they used to swim their cattle from land to ships. And they would tie cattle off to their, their horses and they would swim them into the ocean. And then they would tie them to boats and the boats would take them out to a bigger ship and they would load them all on ships and send them to the United States. Now they just take them and load them on 747s and fly them over here. How would you like to fly that plane? 100,000 pounds of walking, rolling, mooing beef. Can you imagine? Good night. Pilots with nerves of steel. I don't even like to fly with humans, let alone. Oh, my word. I think we're going to have to have a throw down here before one of these days. There's some folks in there. They're just not right. But anyway, Paul writes here to those in uh, Galatia. Listen to what he says. And this is why we're doing this. Paul says, I am astonished. He is shocked. He can't believe it. I think it's even deeper than that. I think Paul is so moved, in fact, probably a, a sense of, of regret and pain and hurt after his investment into these Christians' life with the true gospel. They didn't understand it all, obviously. But Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. And you are turning to a different gospel. I'm telling you, there's a slice of cheese between, it's thinner than that. There's a slice of air, I don't know, butter. Let's do butter. I'm on the keto diet and I can have butter. Did you know that? My mind went to butter. I'm telling you, it's thinking. Cottage cheese, you know, I'm talking cheese. I mean, I need to eat something. Do you hear the growling? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But anyway, there's, there's this much room between the true gospel and the false gospel. It, they're just a, look what Satan does, what he did with Eve. He quotes her scripture with Jesus. He quotes him scripture, and then he just twists things a little bit. He just tweaks it just a little bit. And all of a sudden, you're off on a false gospel. Maybe a false gospel of works instead of a false gospel of faith and grace. Doesn't take far to get there. But he writes to me, he says, I'm just shocked that you're quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he goes on and says, which is really no gospel at all. Did you know that? If, if we don't have the nails in the foundation of the real gospel, what we really have is this baby right here. That's all we have. No gospel. 
at all. No gospel at all. You got something you can set in your living room? It's called religion. You can set that religious thing in your living room and talk about it and purdy it up and shoot, you can set on it. You might even write it a time or two. But that's all it is. He says, listen, it's a different gospel. It's no gospel at all. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. And they're trying to pervert. Look at that word. To pervert the gospel. Listen, Satan is the master of perversion. That's what we see in an unsaved world. We see the gifts that God gives, the gift of love. We see the gift of marriage. We see the gift of family. We see the gift, all these gifts that God gives. Then we see what Satan does with it. He perverts the good things that God gives. In our culture, love, for example. Oh, my word. When Jesus talks to us about love in Scripture and he shows us what love is, it's a whole different kind of love than you'll see on TV today. That's not love. That's a perversion of love. And so Satan perverts, and he wants to pervert the gospel. That's what he tries to do. But even, listen to what Paul says. This is incredible. Paul says, even if we, those of us who are preaching the true gospel, or an angel from heaven, would come and preach a gospel other than the one that you received from that we, well from them that we preach to you let him be eternally condemned paul is so serious about the perversion of the gospel and yet on another coin you're going to see in romans chapter 9 paul says listen if it were possible for my own people to come to know christ i would even be cut off from god but yet on this hand, when he talks about the perversion of the gospel, he's not talking this. He's saying, let them be eternally condemned. He's not playing here. He's serious. And then he moves on and says this. If, as we've already said, now say it again. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Paul says, listen, there's not a very big difference between the true gospel and the false gospel. And if you go to television today and you watch some of those things that are on TV as far as what they would classify as good Christian television, you're going to see some things that are not true to the Word of God. Not at all. In fact, you're going to see a perversion of the gospel. You're going to see a gospel that is man-centered in so that it's called a prosperity gospel. Isn't that interesting? They even gave it a different name. It's a prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, for example, teaches that God is all for you. And this whole thing about Christ and Christianity is really about God helping you live your best life now, giving you what you want when you want it. And all he is is simply a God that jumps into a bottle and you stroke that bottle when you need something from God. 
And he has to, he is bound to give you what you want. Do you know that's a perversion of the gospel? Listen, God is a healing God, is he not? But some of the things I watch on television in other countries where ministries are there and they're actually doing what they call their healing services, I find it very interesting that there's no gospel shared there. That there's no mention of of fallenness and sin and the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. There's no mention of the greatest healing and the greatest miracle of all. The greatest healing is not God setting you free from back pain or letting you walk if you've never walked or giving you sight if you've never seen. The greatest miracle of all that is eternal is to resurrect the dead that someone who is spiritually dead has been raised to brand new life. That is the greatest miracle. It's the miracle of the gospel. And so people come there expecting to be healed, but there is nothing really mentioned of God. You say, well, John, well, how can this be happening? Well, go with me to 2 Corinthians quickly. Just back up here, just a few books from Galatians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And you're going to understand why Paul is being so adamant about spending so much time and being very surgical about how he's doing this because he doesn't want you to end up having a gospel and a faith made like a tree like this. He wants you built upon the foundation of Christ Jesus alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. He wants you to know the true gospel of Christ. It's what he wants us to know, and that's what God desires for us to know. If you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, start in verse 3 here with me. Paul says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if, re, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think that I am the least inferior to those quote-unquote super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. What Paul is saying here is very fascinating to me as he writes to the church in Corinth. They were living in a crazy place Um, the things that were happening in Corinth and still in the middle of that God what does he do he starts his church he starts his church and so obviously it had issues and problems every church does because it's made up of imperfect people amen and so Paul mentions something here he says if someone comes to you and this is very very fascinating to me that he uses this word if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus different than the one, uh, than the Jesus that we preach to you. He starts with Christ. You say, John, well, how does that ever work? Well, for example, there are churches out there such as the church, the Mormon church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for example. Now, many people would argue and say, well, John, isn't that a Christian church? Well, hold on. Paul starts with the first thing. If anyone preaches a different Jesus than the one we preach to you, eh uh-uh. Well, if you find some things interesting out about the Mormon church, They don't preach the same Jesus we preach, guys. 
Not anywhere near the same. And you know, one of the deceptions of Satan is he likes to throw that Holy Bible on the screen during their commercials as if to say, this is the standard by which we do all of our living. It's not. They have the Book of Mormon. They have the Pearl of Grape. They have all kinds of different things that they use as a conglomeration for their gospel. And the Bible is only true as far as it's been translated to the Mormon church. In fact, did you know in the Mormon church that Jesus Christ himself, the eternal Son of God, did you know the Bible says in Romans 1, I mean John, John 1, that Jesus Christ is God? He is God. Well, if you study um, any of the theology of, for example, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you're going to find something interesting. Jesus and Lucifer are brothers in the Mormon church. And God himself, who has no bone, who has, he is spirit, guess what they say? God was once a man, just like you and just like me. And somewhere in this picture comes Heavenly Mother. Because vision was given to Brigham Young and others. Joseph Smith, vision was given to them. And they write different things down. Listen to me. Satan's a perverter. Listen. Test the spirits. Listen. And all of a sudden now we have God who was once a man, which we know the Bible is 100% opposite with that. God always has been, always will be. He's not Christ. He came in the form of Christ, fully man, fully God. Satan is a fallen angel who was what, created by God. He's not, he's not a son of God. And so they say that they had, they had children. They had children, so many children that they finally have their own planet. And that's the reason that marriage is so critical in the Roman church, that you have eternal marriages, because you want throughout all eternity to have children, spirit children, right? Why? So that you can have your own planet one day and become a God. But so many people have fallen into teachings because they use scripture. But it's just a slice left or right from the truth. We could talk about a lot of them. But Paul says if they preach a different Jesus, they're not of us. And he moves on from a different Jesus, and he's, he's saying the next thing is a different spirit. Now, this is something I'm just going to spend just a couple minutes on. I know we're getting time to leave here. I've got about four minutes before we leave. Did you know that there are evil spirits? You say, yes, John, I know that. See, because a third of the angels fell. And we have Satan, and we have the powers and principalities and all those things here on earth. And they have, been, they have power to a certain degree, but they don't have supreme power. They're not omniscient, omnipresent. They're, they're not omnipotent. They're none of those things. But there are spirits, and they actually do things that show power. And if you ever talk to someone who has been involved in Satanism, you're going to find something fascinating. They were drawn to it because of the physical power they actually saw. Remember Moses, when he went to the nation, uh, Pharaoh in Egypt, and he said, set my people free. God said, tell him to set my people free. And one of the things God gave him was a staff. And so what, what he did is when he came before Pharaoh, he's like, why should I let your people free? And he's doing different things. He takes his staff, he throws it on the ground. What does it become? 
a serpent, doesn't it? Now listen. The sorcerers who were serving the Pharaoh, what did they do? They took sticks, threw them on the ground. What did they become? Snakes. Do you know why they had power to do that? Because they have power to do those things. But do you want to notice something? Moses' serpent ate the rest of them. See, when you watch some of these things, it's not all the Spirit of God. When I watch some of these things on television, some of the things that are happening, it's not God doing it. That's why the Bible says test the Spirit. Test it. And that's why Paul says, if you've received any other spirit than the one you received, ooh, we got a problem here. Because men inherently want to see God do things that are supernatural, don't we? We have to be careful because there are churches out there that their sole focus is on the supernatural. It's on the supernatural. They want to see the supernatural every Sunday. They want to see the supernatural. And what happens is if we're not careful, we will be led astray by the wrong spirit. So Paul says that. That's why he puts that in there. You got to test the spirits and know that it's the spirit of God. And then he says a different gospel. Paul is nailing down the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're spending so much time here in Romans. So that you and I have the foundation of the tree of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is, that is true, that will never give way. No matter how tight life gets, you may falter at times in your faith. You may struggle with understanding, God, why did you do this? God, I don't know and I don't understand why is my wife, my daughter, my aunt, my uncle, whoever it is, why are they experiencing these things? They trust in you. They believe in you. God, why are you allowing these things? You may have struggles with that, but let me tell you something. That rope may get so tight that you could play a tune on it and you may falter. And you may sway, but your tree will never give. That's why we spend so much time on the gospel. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for every one of these wonderful people that are here. Lord, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we are living in a day where there's just so much gray. And Lord, there's so many other gospels out there that are, that are just within our grasp. So Lord, thank you for, the, for writing this letter to the Romans, Lord, for us today. That we would truly be able to build our life on the solid foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This amazing gospel that saved us by your grace this faith that we have in Christ and what he did on the cross, this faith of being in Christ and all it means, this work that you're doing in our life of sanctification, of, of, of making us more and more like you, God. And Lord, everything that's done for us in this gospel, Father, help us to know the real gospel. Father, we love you today. Thank you for everyone that's here. I pray that you would go with us, walk with us this week. Thank you for your word and give us a hunger for it, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.